Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Midlife Hustle. In this episode, we're going to be talking about our next hustle. Yeah, we've been thinking a lot about what to do next. We're going to share some of our past experiences, ideas we researched before coming up with this idea, and what we decided on our next hustle is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get into some of these past experiences. I think some of this, like I have to dominate by necessity because I've been trying to do these little side hustles uh, yeah. many times over the years and just kind of supporting your career. So the first thing I wanted to talk about for anybody who is out there who's a software developer or anything like that, I've spent many, many, you've seen the many, many hours I spent on mobile app development. I'm a software engineer. Yeah. If anybody has any ideas for that, like just realize what you're about to endeavor. It's many, many hours. If, if you're doing it yourself because you have the skills, it's many hours and you're trying to play the role of, of all the different people that would normally go into a production. You're being like a product designer, a user interface designer all the graphics arts, all the audio, even if you farm some of that out, like every little micro decision. And then once you have built something you're proud of, you have to try to market it and get people interested in it. And that's not easy. So it took, I mean, I, I worked on several uh, ideas that I was very proud of. I created an interactive uh, children's book and kind of pioneered some technology that allowed the audio to sync up with the touch. And you were able to touch words and every single word you can touch and play back and read along with, or you can let it automatically read to you. And and it was very, like I thought at the time, it was maybe what, 15 years ago or so at the time, I thought it was innovative. I thought it was going to go do well, but it's, it's marketing. Like I wasn't able to get the message out and maybe, you know, it was a really nice book too. Yeah, it was a good book. And I thought that would have kind of led to other opportunities and stuff, but it didn't. I got maybe... At the peak, hundreds of of downloads or so, but nothing ever really took. And I made it free in a time when, like, I was hoping they would get ad monetized or something, but uh, really nothing. But a lot of lessons learned. It's just that the the sheer number of hours, I I think, I guess I didn't learn my lesson because I tried it again and and did the kids metronome that was meant for ADD kids Mm -hmm. to help because metronome. I forgot about that one. Yeah, metronome therapy was found to be helpful for ADD. And I put a nice little kids interface to it. It had like some gamification aspects where you can kind of beat your previous score and stay on track and all that. And again, like without the marketing, it just took many, many months to put together. Very proud of the app. Went to try to market it. And without any real marketing budget, uh, it just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. So that's my, my venture into mobile app development, which is a little sad because I am a professional software engineer. It's just, I think the lesson learned for me is like trying to do something indie. It's really, really difficult. You either have to have like a really good idea that's like groundbreaking or access to a community where you can market it. Some way you need to kind of get the message out, even if it is something amazing. And I just was never able to do that. Yeah. I've been getting better with the marketing skills over the years, but I think there's an important business development aspect there that I missed, which was really assessing the market opportunity, how many people are, will be interested in this particular app? You know, how will I market it? What's my budget for X, Y, and Z really right. wasn't, I was so focused on the tech because that's what I found interesting that I didn't really think about it as a, as the business side of that. So it never really went anywhere. Which is sad because it was two very good apps. Yeah. The next uh, was custom merch. And we talked about this in the previous episode a little bit. And so Custom merch is something, this is an interesting one because it, it's a, it was an intersection of my kind of artistic ability and just like personal curiosities about how to create merch of various sorts. I did stuff that people absolutely loved, like the dopamine drip of like doing something people are amazed by. And then, you know, being able to repeat that over and over again, like even to the point where like 
t-shirts and mugs with family photos or whatever and people being amazed that you can even do that at all yeah and then taking it to the next level and doing i did some custom logo designs like one that actually looked like a bottle of jack daniels but was customized to the roller derby team yeah Yeah. like a a shirt that made it look like a tabasco label but was customized to the roller derby team yeah very cool stuff i was very proud of that and everybody loved that yeah that was a that was a lot of i it was amazing merch it was really nice yeah and it sold like crazy the i guess the problem is I think there is money to be made there, but in this day of like print on demand services, like the, the costs of of entry are getting, I guess it's complicated. It's lower, but like you're, you have to share these profits with the people who are, who are doing it. So these print on demand services, even Amazon has a print on a a demand service. It's a little bit difficult to get into that program, but they have a print on demand. There's several other, you know, vendors out there that will do custom merch print on demand. So the ability to have these low print runs, that was always the problem I was trying to solve, is be able to make low print runs profitable for these roller derby leagues. Yeah. That's how I got into it at all. They would custom order just what they needed, and I would be able to fulfill that order by sourcing all the supplies myself, doing all the work myself, and helping them kind of keep keep things affordable. Yeah. Nowadays, though, there are lots of options for that. And yeah, it's not as cheap as I was doing it, but those companies need to make money too. They need to kind of make their cut. Mm-hmm. So there's money to be made there if you have an interesting design, but man, like really, you'd to be able to sell something to the masses, you'd have to have a brand recognition that was like massive. You'd have to have a design that was just so compelling that everybody has to have it. Maybe even hit a certain thing in a moment of time. We talked about, I consider the custom merch, the buttons that I created for COVID. That was just a time where Everybody, especially, I think there were a lot of doctor's, doctors offices ordering from me. They were putting in like $1,000 orders, $500 orders, and they were ordering these one-inch buttons. And all I did is I took the public COVID uh, symbol that was popular at the time, the vaccination symbol, and put it on a button, but did it well. I just executed See, it well. See, that's the thing. You you do it well. My quality. The right? quality is like Every is image amazing. was perfectly centered. Yeah. I used Mylar that's high quality, so it had a good gloss to it and didn't come apart easily yeah used all the good button parts and all that type of stuff so yeah. I, I the quality is high that's always been my thing is making sure quality is high. yeah yeah so there's money to be made there i will say something also if uh, anybody out there who's like kind of thinking about getting into etsy i don't know uh, your mileage may vary but etsy has become saturated with people who are just doing drop shipping or selling things from alibaba and stuff like that it's really not the handmade marketplace that it once was that got it to be popular yeah for what it was as etsy there are definitely still people doing that on Etsy, but not the way they were before. It's not like exclusively for them anymore. And so and it's that's just, sad. That's really sad because a lot of people who like to do handmade craft that is a one of a kind now kind of creations. gets drowned out yeah. by other people who do it in mass production that is not the same quality, in my opinion. Yeah. But and then and then, you you know, you can't blame a consumer if like a consumer's searching in that marketplace, look, intending to buy something handmade. But then they see something from China that's like a knockoff, but yeah. it's like twenty dollars cheaper. Like, mm, you know, all right. Is it worth twenty dollars extra or whatever? But it's like handcrafted. You know, the quality's most likely going to be better, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I don't know. Etsy isn't for me anymore because of that. I just had too, there's too much competition for, for things that are not handmade in that marketplace. And the more I looked at anything along this custom merch for me, unless I, unless I came up with a design that was like a marketable design, a brand design, something that people absolutely had to have, maybe a, a funny image that I can put on, uh, you know, Redbubble or one of these other print on demand websites that, that could really have that potential to sell. 
then um, there's really no like ability for passive income. It's all, I had to do all the work myself. I'm working for minimum wage, so I'm not interested in doing that. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't like scalable business. It's like, you're only as good as your, your last design and it's going to hit, it's going to make some money. And then you have to be moving on, moving on, moving on. Um, I guess all businesses like that to some degree, but it's just, it's not a, it wasn't a scalable business for me. It's, it's like you get these one hit wonders and then you're done. So when we were looking at what to do next, we established some criteria, right? Yeah. We said it has to have a high upside, but startup funds under $2,000. It had to be something that was scalable to $100,000 or more. And the, whatever the business was had to align to our passions, something that we would really enjoy doing and have some fun doing. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. At this point, if you're following along, you're probably liking what you're hearing or you're, you're just hanging out with us. Please hit the like button, subscribe. Try to help us out. It helps the algorithms, helps us know that people are out there appreciating the content we're creating. Yes. Let's move on to uh, the ideas we researched. So let's cover some miscellaneous ones first. I feel like there was this, this large group of ideas we researched that kind of we just did an initial assessment and moved on. We didn't really do a deep dive into. One of them that you were interested in quite a bit was a food truck. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> I just had this idea of a food truck that me personally, and actually some of our family members also cannot find good quality um, food that I'm thinking of, of opening up a food truck. Um, I think the closest is upstate New York, but also in my idea of this, it would be have a little twist of Italian and Portuguese. So mm. um so I'm I'm really not going to give up on that one because I know that it's a it's it's one of those that you need to work every single day, but I think I would truly enjoy it. I really do think I would truly enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it it's it's high cost to start yeah, the it startup up. Startup costs are unless high. you find a, a food truck already kind of built, but we just have to redo the outside of it for a logo kind of thing, but. Let me tell you why it's not on my criteria. Aside from the startup costs being high. Yeah. And aside from us having zero experience in the food industry as an industry. We have a lot, we love cooking, a lot of experience in our family with that. Mm -hmm. And we love you know customer service. And, and I definitely think you have an idea there that it is a good business opportunity. Not that we should give up on the dream. It's just not for now. I yeah. Think. It's going to require a lot of uh, homework. And like you said, it is one of those businesses where... It's got that kind of that that problem of like the key man syndrome. Like once you're not there doing it, if you get sick, if something happens to you, that business doesn't run. Right. And you don't make any money. Right. So I don't like that right now. Mm -hmm. You know, right now. That may be something we come back around to because it sounds like something you're really passionate about. Yeah. But we can't do that right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't fit the criteria of what we're trying to establish right now. We're looking to to b break out a little hustle. I, I'm, I'm, I'm resistant to calling this a side hustle. And I'll tell you why in a second. Um, this is a business we're trying to create that can make us some more money that gets us on this path to financial freedom. Once we have that, we can assess other options and things that align with our passions or something we want to do. Mm -hmm. And our our ideas may change by then. We'll see. Mm -hmm. But regarding side hustles, this is the problem with the word I found side hustles when I was researching this. You research side hustle and you get all this weird stuff like e-farming, uh, play solitaire and bingo. I mean, I'm I'm talking like for an article that I saw linked from like Forbes.com and some, some financial advisory uh, websites. 
so, play solitaire in bingo online and make, you know, $4,000 a day, um, uh, doing online support or, or, uh, I couldn't, yeah, you couldn't what, which one? Uh, the the gambling thing i couldn't sit there and just play bingo i mean i i yeah. don't see that being a low cost start. i actually i tried at one point these the, one of these solitaire games that say like oh make you can easily make 100 200 500 a day and i tried it and i think the key is you have to be really good at solitaire mm-hmm. and really good at i, I want to say math because some of them are like they're time based and you have to like if you don't respond quickly enough because they're like it's like a race against the yeah. clock as well uh, because a lot of people are going to solve that solitaire puzzle. Like you get grouped in with these bunch of people. And and if you're, once you get to the upper games where people are playing for serious money, whoever solves the puzzle fastest wins the right. pot. And so it's not good enough to just be able to solve the puzzle. You have to be able to solve it in the time allotted. So there's mm-hmm. a, there's a, a, a risk part of that that you're not even in control of that has to do with time. I guess you are in control of it, but you have to be really good at solitaire. You have to play really fast and get lucky enough to win. Right. So there's an aspect of that that's skill and, and, and high level skill so that you can play. I mean, God bless you. If you're able to solve those puzzles that fast and, and everybody else is playing and putting money into the pool and you're winning it and taking it from them. Awesome. I never felt good about it. Even if I could do it, which I did make some money on it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel good about it. I don't want to be gambling and like kind of st- stealing people's money just because I'm faster than them or something, mm-hmm. you know, and as, and it's not scalable, you know, it's not scalable. That's one of our criteria. Right. But it just seems like a get rich quick scheme. And a lot of them, that's my general thing. They, they were either like remote work, gambling or get rich quick schemes. Even like one of them was e-farming, or email farming or something like that. It just, it just wasn't for me. Well, none of it was resonating and they're all classified as like side hustles. I'm not interested in starting a side hustle. I want a business that we can scale, that we can start from the grassroots, start with limited budget, but has high up upside, mm-hmm. has potential to be something more, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're looking for. So we considered real estate investing and rental properties. Yeah. I think this is something you really want to do at some point as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people do this. The problem I had with it is once we get into it, there's, the, first of all, let's classify, there's several different types of real estate investing. Mm-hmm. You can flip houses. You can do rentals, uh, even vacation rentals, all different types of things you can do in the real estate investing space. Mm-hmm. My problem is that, again, there's this, this problem. I guess we could probably get over it is we, it's not really a space we understand well. Right. Like we have done a lot. I've done a lot over the years with construction and, and we've done some leasing and business uh, contract negotiations and all that. But it's just something that didn't resonate with me all that well. And one of the main reasons is the criteria that we have a lower startup costs, mm-hmm. right? We definitely would need more than like $2,000 to pursue one of these things. And I just don't like the risk. Like, you know, there's but everything ma- in life is, has a risk though. I, I feel like one of the, the rental um, properties, I think it's an investment and I see a future with it. We have kids, we have grandkids, they'll have something We're like once we leave this earth, they will have something, you know, and um, rent and have an income on top of that. I don't know. I feel like it's a good investment, but. I think it is. It, and, it, and it does have the potential to have this thing that we've been talking about, like passive income. Like once you get it all set up and, and working yeah. right, money just keeps coming in yeah. and you don't have to do a lot for it. 
but that risk I'm talking about is like maintenance. You have to have, you do have to have a budget for when things go wrong. So that has to be included in your in mm-hmm. your overall business yeah. model. You have to make sure you have good tenants or else they can destroy the place or not pay you or cause yeah. all different types of problems. Um, and then if there's damages or, you know, of course you have insurance for stuff like that. But so I think it's a good idea as well. But again, it's just it's not the, it's, it's the startup for that one is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot for us to learn and a bunch of money we'd have to be putting on the table from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, I think I looked up this one because you're interested in real estate investing. The real estate investment groups, or I think another one is called real estate investment trusts, R-E-I-G and R-E-I-T. There are these new concepts that are starting starting up there. Some of them are websites or some of them are just groups throughout the country where a bunch of people get together, kind of like crowdfund, crowdsource the real estate investment and they go in on these deals together and they some i've heard that some of the better ones like make all the information available so you can make a well-informed decision it all sounds good on paper but it all it's just very i'm very uncomfortable with the idea of putting up any serious amount of money to a like to a fund or to a a group yeah i watched a movie i don't know recall what it was it was very uh, unsettling and uh the person at the end got screwed yeah, because it's really dependent on the fund manager yeah. and, and all that. I mean, I'm not saying you just give some random guy money. The, the, the well-run ones have all legal agreements and they're run by professionals who know what they're doing and all that. But uh, I just if I can't like like go visit the property myself or be kind of intimately involved and I don't know, it's just it, it's it's a little unsettling. Maybe there's some opportunities that we'll continue to research in that space. But mm-hmm. uh, that does at least solve the problem of. There is something that is scalable. I think people have invested a lot of money in, in things like this. Uh, and it, you can get started at a low rate, uh, but aligned with our passions, I don't know just yet. Like it, yeah. it, it, that would be a way to just try to make money. And I'm not sure it would be really yeah. aligned with our passions, especially if I can't be intimately involved with the property, you know. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I, I. So then I started thinking about Amazon opportunities in various ways. and. One of the reasons is because over the break, last uh, Christmas break, I started playing around with Amazon KDP, which is Kindle Direct Publishing. And Kindle Direct Publishing comes close to our, our criteria, but it's a, it's a really slow burn. It does have the option for passive income. Once you create a book or something, mm-hmm. put it out there, over time, that book, like, like publishing any book, it can you know earn more and more money over time. So I did a bunch of crossword puzzles that are actually making a hit every now and then, but mm-hmm. And I put a certain marketing budget to it. And basically the marketing budget just paid for the books. But I hope that maybe over time with some reviews, it'll catch more people. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to make money on Amazon KDP. I did try starting on Kindle Vela. I didn't really like that. There's not enough people on that platform for indies, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But but just being able, to, being able to publish a book on your own, it's kind of a, a unique time we're in to be able to do that. I like that idea. But the problem is, and it, 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 it kind of fits our criteria, but. It's a really slow burn. It like to be able to say that it scales to 100k and beyond. Sure, it does technically speaking, but you really have to make like some kind of hit, some kind of book that everybody wants to read, some kind of content that's brand new. There are people doing what's called like low content uh, books as well, which is like just like journals and stuff like that. Amazon's trying to clamp down on that because it's very little value. So there are a lot of different ways, but the the thing is, it got it introduced me to the ecosystem of Amazon. Amazon has Amazon has so many different ways you can make money on their platform. And the one that I came across that I got excited about when I started reading through this criteria was 
something called FBA, Fulfilled by Amazon. There's different models. You can basically source items and sell them, like just write a contract to Alibaba, you know, these the, the folks in China who make the items and then send them directly to Amazon. And then Amazon takes care of all the distribution. That model, I, from what I understand, and we're just learning about this, but it doesn't make, it's hard to compete in that model because anybody can do that. You just find an item that's selling well and put it on Amazon. And, you know, the margins, as you can imagine, get smaller and smaller and smaller as other people do that competing with you, trying to make some money because they all can all just go to that same manufacturer. Then uh, the margins get smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Then there's like things called private labeling where you can just have your label put on. Okay, great. Now you're taking an item. At least it has your label on it. But most savvy consumers will see like, oh, that looks like the same item. It just has a different label on it. So people are getting wise to that. And again, it's the same problem. It's just a race to the bottom. There are opportunities, though, to create your own custom items. You go see an item from one of these manufacturers and say, you know, I like that product, but I really need it to be like this. And a lot of them will actually work with you. So you can you can have your custom variant, your custom twist on a product that is unique and people won't find a copy of. Mm -hmm. And now they have to look for your brand. And then you can actually go all the way. And if you have a unique idea that you want to create, you can actually market a, a, an idea and, and have a, a brand new idea to market. Mm hmm. So this is, I, I explained this to you, and I know we're still learning about it, but it, let me just go through our criteria first. You know, yeah, high upside, but low entry point. You can get started at as, in as little, I would say you probably need at least a thousand or two to get started because there are some fees associated with getting started up, like uh, like ordering samples. You, you have to pay Amazon FBA a fee, a monthly fee just to be yeah. part of that program. And there's fees associated with all this. So, uh, and, but it scales obviously to $100,000 and more because of, of the scale with Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. There's, they did a, a trillion, I think if I remember the data is 1.2 or $1.6 trillion last year. Trillion, you know, that's a, yeah. a thousand billion dollars transactions from Amazon last year. And uh, there's many ways to align this type of work with our passions. We just have to find items or things that we're passionate about, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so do you want to talk a little bit about like what your thoughts were when we, we started going through that? I mean, I'm still doing research on it, so it, it's, it's going to take me a little bit, but to get to that, like exciting, like I want to do this kind of thing. Um, but I think I want to stay in my, not comfort zone, but what I know and what my passion is, which is something within the beauty, um, aspect of, of, um, selling things, but it has to be the right thing. So I have to do a lot more research, um, in it. Yeah, so I'll take care of some of the like the business logistics there, and I'll I'll try to find something that I'm excited about bringing to market. And that's the challenge for you right now is yeah. to find that thing that you're going to be excited about trying yeah. to bring to market, which will be a lot of research. Uh, it'll be fun though. I think yeah. you'll, you'll see. There's some tools we're going to use that'll that'll make it you know uh, uh, easier to do that research and see what's going to be marketable, and then applying your own creative sense. Yeah. Of yeah. Aligning it with your passion, but that's the thing. We're going to make this align with our passions yeah. by definition. Or yeah. else it won't be fun. Yeah. Right. So one of the questions I ask myself is, you know, I think a lot of people ask themselves, is it too late? Like everybody else is already doing that. Well, no, there's, there's so too, much, so much, there's so much money to be made. There's so many, many people doing things. And if you can find something that just has the right, the right niche, um, that's the, what do they say? Niches, riches are in the niches yeah, and such. Something like, that. <laughs> something like that. In January, 2024, there's this ad badger article that said around 46% of Amazon sellers can achieve an average success rate of 11 to 25%, with 64% likely to become profitable within 12 months. 
making it a viable opportunity for those looking to sell on the platform. In other words, there are people coming on the platform all the time and people dropping off the platform. There are people who don't, there are definitely people who don't succeed. It's almost a coin toss of people who don't succeed. But with a little bit of effort, you can see the devil's in the details of how you actually are successful on this platform. You can't, if you're coming to this platform, trying to do what everybody has done 10 years before when it was easy to make money on Amazon just by putting anything on, just sourcing it. Some people were like buying an item from Walmart and selling it using the FB, yeah. FBM is like fulfilled by merchant uh, program. And they were just flipping items, basically buying. It's like, I think it's called arbitrage, arbitrage, something like that, where you, you buy it lower and sell it higher. Classic kind of market trading type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's not working. Like there are a lot of competition on that and that's yeah. not working anymore. You can't just keep on doing the things that everybody else has been doing. Yeah. So we really have to innovate here and do things that that everyone else is not doing. When everybody else is zigging, we have to zag, you know. Yep. And if you do those types of things and pay attention, to, there's, again, a lot of information out there from people who are successful in the space. Just looking to share the information on Reddit and in YouTube videos about what they've done with FBA that's worked and what not to do, things to avoid. Um, I think we can be successful in this space. We can edge that that 50-50 kind of bet on in our favor, mm-hmm. you know, and be on the on the plus side of that 50%. Mm-hmm. And then the, the people who win a success rate of 11 to 25%, that's a pretty good investment. I mean, most investments only get 8%. So even if we were able to grow, you know, $2,000 and just grow yeah. 10% on that and 10% on that and 10%, it, it'll scale. Yeah. You know, if it, in other words, we put $2,000 into that system and every time we iterate, we're able to make, you know, at least say 10% on that money. Over time, that money will, you know, yeah. compound quite nicely. But the devil is in the details. Uh, you know, yeah, definitely. In the pri- we have a little bit more research to do. Yeah. So private labeling. Um, I think you're. You said you're going to stay in the beauty space. You're going to yeah. try to. I, I think we need to avoid. I want to avoid food and and um, like health related things right now. I think I have some ideas in that space, like for supplements, and mm-hmm. I think you have some ideas for like makeup and hair products, but. Mm-hmm. I just we need to take that one a little bit more carefully because I want to make sure we understand the legal and regulatory yeah. aspects of that, especially if we're sourcing from other countries. There are U.S. suppliers as well. You know, yeah. I would be fine with using a U.S. supplier if, if we can get quality products yeah. uh, and and for similar prices or, you know, the shipping is a lot less as well when you use a U.S. supplier. Yeah. And I would love to be able to support U.S. suppliers. So uh, but we do have to be careful about those. I yeah. think we have to do a little bit more homework for those types of items. Mm hmm. But definitely for, uh, for there's plenty of other items in that space. Yeah, I just there's a few I just have to research and see. Yeah, and we have an idea that you've been toying with for years since we opened up a salon. We were just talking about this morning. I really yeah. can't divulge too many details on that one. It's a special product <laughs> that Lisa is asking me to, to design for her Forever. since we opened up our salon. Yeah, Forever. And yeah, I think we finally have an idea of something that might work. So we'll save that. Yeah, uh, that's a, that'll be an interesting little project. I'll see if I can come up with a design that we can bring to market for that. Let's do a quick recap. What what we did here is we're thinking about our business goals and applying criteria. Yeah, because every other effort we've done, we failed to do that. And therefore, we failed to treat it like a legitimate business. Right. It's fine. We do want our business to align with our with our passions, but we can't just make at a hobby or a passion, a passion project. It has to be something that is also a business opportunity. This alignment, this mm-hmm. convergence of something we have the time to do fits our criteria. So 
So I would encourage anybody who's trying to do something similar, make sure it, it fits your criteria. It fits your budget. You can commit to it for a long enough time. You can fit it in your schedule and give it the, the time and attention it needs. And also I that it like aligns passion. with your passions. Yeah. yeah. I think passion is a big one. Definitely. Because if you don't enjoy doing it, it's going to be like, ah, oh, forget it. It's not worth it. Yeah, definitely. It's not going to be fun. The journey is not going to be fun. You're right. And I know there's a lot of people out there just hustling to make ends meet. But if you're going to try to break above and do something, you break out of that mold, break above the rat race, you need to do something that you're going to enjoy doing mm-hmm. ultimately. I just want to also share that we're going to try to put something. I haven't decided exactly how to do this yet, but either it's going to be like on a Google Drive or a Patreon account, something like that. I'd like to try to share what we're doing, like the references we came across, the reason, the decision making we made, how we made it, and then like follow our project along, mm-hmm. be able to show like step here, by step. Yeah, here's what we're doing and here's how we did it. I guess I, I just don't I, I don't know all the details of how we're going to do that yet. But but look for that in future episodes, because we're definitely going to to sh- find a way to share this for the people who want to come along on this journey with us. And so that you can see how we were able to take some, uh, you know, some fixed amount of money and turn it into more mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a business model. And I don't want to like disclose all the details of our business necessarily, right. but just like pick a product. Like, here's what we did. Here's how we did it. And show that spreadsheet of here's all the costs that went into it. And yeah. here's the profit we were able to make from that cycle. Yep. And then if we're able to repeat that cycle over and over again and do it at, at bigger scales, then we can, that, that's how it scales up. And if we're having fun doing it, that's how it aligns with our passions. Yeah. Right. Yep. So look forward to seeing that in future episodes. Follow along on our journey and we'll catch you on the next one. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe.